This is Cinema Degeneration. There is a man, alone in the dark with a head full of the unknown. A vault of horrific thoughts hidden from the world. Another stalks him through the shadows. Watching. Waiting. Burning to crack the lock of his skull. Plunge his questing fingers inside and dissect the mysteries within. And tonight, the hunter will spring his trap without warning. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degenerations Without Warning. Uh, it's a new show that we're doing here. We're on episode three, and it's me, myself, and I. Uh, we're <laughs> we're going to be uh, stumping Mr. Corey Dawson here with another surprise subject. Are, are we ready for this one, Corey? Uh, I'm as ready as I'll ever be. I I really uh, I had a sense of foreboding on this one. I, I think that the knives were going to come out on this one, so we'll see uh, how it goes. I took it easy on the on, on the last one. I feel like I, I picked a, an easy subject. I felt like, but this one I don't know. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll see if this one uh, you know. Makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up, or if it's uh, something way <laughs> up, way in there in your wheelhouse. But those of you who well, are, well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a glutton. Sorry. No, no, no. Go, go right ahead. Go right ahead. I was gonna say I'm a glutton for punishment, um, because I mean, why, why on earth would I've even suggested it if I just didn't like throwing myself into this kind of situation? So. <laughs> Right on, right on. Well, I've I've kind of liked uh, you know doing the 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 research on on these and uh, surprising you with these surprise subjects. And those of you at home who are just tuning in and just listening, and you haven't li maybe listened to the first couple episodes, the idea behind without warning is I surprise Mr. Dawson here at late nights while he's out driving and with a surprise subject. It might be a pop culture thing, might be a movie thing, might, but it has something to do with the the field of entertainment. But he has no idea what I'm coming at him with, and no idea what the subject's going to be. So he is totally unprepared and unknowing of what the subject's going to be. The only one that knows is me. <laughs> <laughs> and you might think we're crazy, but then again, you might be right. But yeah, that being I said, mean, are you ready, sir? I am willing. I don't know if I can ever say I'm ready. I'm only going to say I'm willing. <laughs> right on, right on. Well, That's the theme for this evening is Bloodsuckers, Vampires in oh. a Film. All right. Okay. You know, where we can run the gamut of uh, different subjects. We can talk TV. We can talk movies. You know, whatever kind of entertainment you want. But I got a whole slew of, uh, of subjects, a whole slew of movies and uh, shows and different things I'm going to throw at you. So first, I got to ask first and foremost, are you a fan of vampires and bloodsuckers in cinema? Um, I am a... I... I'd have to say that vampires, I think that when it comes to monsters, if you can, if you can manage to come up with some new monsters, there's always the classic monsters that I think will never go away and I hope never do, especially since uh, Montague Summers have, has written some great books about the history of vampires in Europe and, and different things. I think that when you, when you look at it, it it's such a longstanding uh, legend and a long-standing love of, of this unknown, sometimes sensual creature. There's like the lurking thought of immortality. There's a little bit of kind of like the uh, the sacrament. That's kind of like a, almost a sacrilege and sacrament at the same time, where you have like this weird transubstantiation 
with blood and, you know, sleeping in earth, old castles. Like it's, it's a real, um, it's a very luxurious and enticing legend. It's far more enticing than a, a werewolf would be. It seems like werewolf just ruins your life. Whereas with a vampire, <laughs> you have, uh, you have kind of like the riches of time. You always stay young or at least as young as you were when you were changed and stuff. I think that it kind of be, it kind of became dangerous for a while when uh, when people were making light of it, when vampires ceased to be uh, lethal, when they ceased to be vicious, when they were just sort of like um, pretty and untouchable and uh, troubled and things like that. I think that's always existed in the vampire lore, but there was always that background hint that there was. There may not be death for them, but there was death for sort of like the spectators of their legend and stuff. And I think that that sort of waned. Uh, I'm not sure what's happening lately, to be honest. But I've I've heard ram uh, rumblings that uh, they're going to remake the Lost Boys with a bunch of like the young, the new young teenage stars and stuff. And I'm I'm kind of yeah. hoping that if they because uh, someone I saw someone once say that I think I was actually looking at the craft and they said the craft was uh, did for witches what Lost Boys did for vampires. And I couldn't agree more because um, when you mentioned the Bloodsucker thing, I was trying to think of the last most recent uh, vampire film or, or television show that I watched that really sort of got me in, in the mood for the old school vampire stuff. And I'm sort of drawing a blank. So hopefully when you bring up things, it'll it'll remind me. I, I already have some in mind, and I'm thinking that you're probably going to bring them up, so. Well, I mean, as far as, like, you know, I mean, you mentioned Lost Boys, and, you know, we got to think that movie's 33, 34 years old now, you know, it's not really uh, how you want to say um, modern, you know what I mean, or that 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 mar modern, you know, I mean, but, you know, there's always been a place for, uh, I guess you could say, pretty vampires, elegant vampires. But to me, the vampires that are scary to me are the ones that are ugly, that are ruthless and beasts. You know, like, for instance, like, I I think a good mixture of the two is Fright Night. You got somebody oh, as, yeah. as, as oh, elegant, yeah. you know, as elegant as uh, Chris Sarandon was in that. But when he changed and when he, be, when he uh, I guess you could say for a lesser, uh, you know, lesser term, vamped out, he was brutal, you know, and he was ugly. Oh my God, he was he was totally gruesome looking. Yeah, I mean, I you love know, the look. You know, I mean, I think a really good example of a modern, uh, or more modern uh, vampire movie that shows monsters or the monsters or the vampires that you know not exactly as pretty, you know, things. <laughs> They're not. Yeah, you know, it's not like I hate to even bring the subject up, but the, it's not Twilight. They don't, you know, vampires aren't meant to sparkle. But like a movie I think, about, uh, I honestly think that for for a long time, I honestly think that people thought that was never going to go away, and I think that it, I think that they have managed to pretty much be forgotten at this point. I don't think that yeah. people really see that as as like the end all be all and the end of vampires anymore. I think that it came and it blew away. And now everyone's trying to move on, and I don't think that anyone um, misses it. I'll be honest. I I liked the first Twilight film when it came out. I never thought that 
Kristen Stewart was, um, I never thought she was a great actress, but I, I liked the Twilight film, the first one. Well, see, the that's time, the only one I that think, I've ever seen. I've only seen the first one, and after that, I didn't need to see anymore. I think it's because um, Pattinson is honestly otherworldly looking. He's a very strange looking guy. So I, I think when it came to, I mean, when it comes to like the model family and everyone is, you know, I mean, I, I, I can take it or leave it. But um, I have to say, when you brought Fright Night up, like that's. I thought that that was the absolute perfect mixture of the whole um, teenage voyeur and then, like, what what are the neighbors doing? What secrets yeah. does, like, next door hold and stuff? Kind of a and rear then window sort of, type of thing almost. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I, I love the idea of that friend that you kind of look at yourself in the mirror and say, why am I friends with this guy? He's a total dickhead. He mistreats me all the time. Maybe it's because that guy is sort of uh, saw, seen as a freak in school and stuff. So he hangs out with him, and he even though he annoys the hell out of him, because I've had friends like that. So when you see kind of like the change of him into sort of like this minion creature, everything just came together. I love Ryan McDowell. I think that it managed to somehow completely balance the tongue-in-cheek, a little bit of the homage, a little bit of the parody, but with absolutely lethal consequences. Like, I think that movie is perfectly pitched. So, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, I didn't see the remake. As far as I'm concerned, the only thing that I would even be interested in in the remake is Anton Yelkin. Taken too soon. Love that guy. Yeah, uh, you know, I've never seen the remake. There's nothing about it that makes me want to see it. Although I, I will profess to being a big David Tennant fan. But Oh my god, I totally forgot that he was in it. I totally yeah. forgot he was in it. Yeah, he plays uh, the the new Peter Vincent. You know, I, I mean, most I've seen about from it is the trailer, and I was just like, oh, okay. I mean, I could see it, seeing it for him, but I have not succumbed yet. I have not succumbed to, to watching the Bright Night remake or the sequel to the remake. I have not watched <laughs> that either. But when I was thinking of like a, of a more uh, more recent, I think it came out a uh, two thousand eight or two thousand nine. That was a really really good. Uh, modern day take on vampirism was 30 days a night. I was like the whole was idea behind that. I was deeply frightened that you're going to bring that up. I <laughs> have not seen 30 days a night. Oh yeah. Great, great movie. I mean, it, this, it's the so idea... crazy. Everyone I ever talked to always talks about how, how great 30 days a night is. And I love the idea of like an Arctic terrain. And I love, the, the the red on the white of the snow and it seems like it'd be striking as hell but I'll be honest with you I honestly think that the reason why I haven't seen that is uh, I am super skeptical of Josh Hartnett movies <laughs> I could see but that you would have thought that lucky that. number 11 lucky number 11 kind of turned me around on that so I need to give it a chance I liked him in Petty Dreadful except for the the absolute un, the absolute unbelievability of uh of one of the episodes in that thing that that turned me off so completely that i never revisited it and i have both seasons so um but yeah i i really need to see 30 days a night and i was shit scared that you're gonna ask about that because i <laughs> i have not seen it okay well we don't have to cover that one i got a whole bunch more that i love to cover there's like
like I, I have a personal couple of favorites. Uh, you may not have seen these, but the Count Yorga movies. Uh, Count but, Yorga. In fact, I I actually just bought the um, the Midnight Movies twofer on Count Yorga, and I think I I had only had it in VHS form before. So I'll be revisiting that. I uh, I love Robert Quarry. I always thought he had like one of the most interesting faces. And in fact, he ended up um, in the Vincent Price Madhouse movie. He ended up oh, going to the that Halloween. Movie. He went to the Halloween party as Count Yorga. Did you notice that? Yeah, I did notice that. That is uh, my fa- actual literal favorite Vincent Price film. Absolutely Are love Madhouse. Yeah, that's my absolute. Wow absolute favorite i have often said if i could have the chance to remake any single movie any single movie i would remake madhouse so what would you do what would you do differently i I would just uh, just you know not really a whole lot different i would just update it for modern times i think the story is there is still solid you know a you know a horror movie legend you know being plagued by you know deaths on the set i think i just i love the idea of a movie within the movie within a movie. I would, I I have, I mean, I don't want to put it out in either and say what I would do, you know, literally, but uh, I wouldn't change a whole lot. You know, I wouldn't necessarily do a remake like, you know, (laughs) Robert Altman's psycho where we're just going to, you know, Gus Van Sant psycho, you know, where we are going to, you know, remake it shot per shot. I wouldn't do that. But I would keep it, you know, pretty much the same. I, I love the Dr. Death character. I just love the idea, you know, I'm going to give, give it away look. for people that haven't seen that haven't seen it. But, you know, it's got such a wonderful twist at the end. I honestly can't remember. I think I may have picked up Madhouse uh, just as a as a lark. I think I saw it on VHS. And I was like, oh, I never heard of this one from Vincent Price. So I tried it on and um, I had already loved Theater of Blood. And I think that those are kind of like spiritual cousins. Um, yeah. But I loved Madhouse. I loved the Dr. Death uh, persona. I love seeing Cushing in there. There are a lot of twists and turns. They're, that they're that, that movie is actually pretty busy. There's a lot of moves that happen in that movie. And um, it shows kind of like what it must be like to be an aging horror star. Like the bullshit you have to deal with on set. Uh, and like the um, the starlets that are coming after you, like there, and then sort of like there's so many things that they sort of just kind of take in stride, like the woman who was kind of wronged, and then now she's like obsessed with spiders and shit. Yeah, she, like, the one that was like, disfigured. Yeah, so like there's a lot to it. I I totally agree with you. I recommend everybody see Madhouse. Yeah, I but, mean if uh, I could do it. The biggest thing I would do would, you know, we're talking, you know, dream film here. I'd do it with Tony Todd. Now, we were talking a little bit off the air here, and we were talking a little bit about Candyman and stuff. But, I mean, can you imagine somebody with, I mean, with just his voice alone, you know? Like, I could sit and listen to that man read the phone book. I'd love to put him in that role. Um, I tell you, you know, with with, um, one actor... Speaking of vampire films, one actor that I think was uh, criminally underutilized, and I've, I'm I'm sorry, I do not remember his name off the top of my head, but I thought it was something like um, Clarendon or something like that. But uh, the guy who played Blackula, he was oh, like practically um, a Shakespearean god, 
And I had seen I him remember. first. I thought his name was William something. Maybe his last name starts with a C. But he... Um, William he Marshall. In, William Marshall. He was in yeah. the, the Boston Strangler in, in like a... Uh, what I thought was very timely. Um, he played... I think he played like the commissioner of police or something. And he was just his majesty in playing a role just such as that, like a, a public servant. And then you see him as Blackula. And I just thought he was criminally underutilized. And of course, you know, that's a black exploitation, and it was a lot of fun. It was kind of goofy. And I think they had some like voodoo overtones and stuff like that. But I, I think that when, when you get into, I definitely know there, there are eras of like the vampiric films and stuff. And I think that after a certain time, they um, they sort of like uh, with uh, with the hunger. Yes, I thought yes. that was a, uh, that was a completely groundbreaking thing. I tend to um, I tend to really like, which is kind of surprising for me. I tend to like vampires that don't have fangs. I you like know, the I, hunger. I can take I can take them or leave them. You know, I, I I I they don't necessarily have to have fangs for me, but it doesn't bother me when they don't. No, no, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying that I prefer one over the other, but for some reason, I think that it, when you have the hunger, where they have sort of like the Egyptian backstory, they have like the Ankh knives and stuff, and then you have something like uh, a Martin. I I kind of like the idea. There's actually a vampire movie. That would it had a really odd name. I think it was called like the Wisdom of Crocodiles. And then no one understood what it was about, so they re-released it and called it Immortality. And it has Jude Law as a vampire in it. Oh, I gotta write that one down. Yeah, I, that's one that is uh, not familiar to me. <laughs> it is very, very unusual. It's like he has to ingest blood. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but he has to ingest blood, and then after he does, his body like forms this strange crystal that he vomits up. It's very unusual, and it took that's a lot of. Sounds weird. That sounds very yeah, weird. I took, like the it sound took of a lot it, of though. Cues. Yeah, man. Like I, it was one of those weird, like uh, HBO middle of the night things, and I just kind of discovered it, and it ended up being very, very strange. I, um, but on the other hand, I also like it when you have the absolutely like bestial, like when the vampire feeds on you, like your neck is completely flayed apart. Uh, I like that too. Um, like uh, I loved. The Night Flyer movie. Yes, underrated. I think it was considered criminally a movie, right? Underrated. Yeah, it's a movie. Yeah, yeah it's, it's criminally okay. underrated. That was a. I want to say it was made for cable. It wasn't it made for Showtime or? Um, for some reason, I was thinking it was made for USA. Yeah, I, can't I don't remember. think that it had full on. But um, I there's no doubt about it. I find that to be easily one of the best television Stephen King adaptations that's ever happened. And I love I Miguel Ferrer. Miguel Ferrer is so good. And I'd I, watch that guy in anything, to be honest with you. As I often said, I, I could sit and listen to the guy just read the phone book and be highly entertained, you know? it's And it's very rare for me to say, 
I love the father and I love the son. I love <laughs> Jose and I love Miguel. And I think Miguel, it's so funny because when you think of Jose, you think of this like silky voiced, uh, you know, seductor, really intelligent, really kind of like elite type of guy. And then Miguel is like one of the coldest vipers that ever. <laughs> right. He is so cruel. Oh, yeah. I like I, I, I love him in everything. I love him in X-Files. I love him in Twin Peaks. Uh, I love him in RoboCop. Uh, I mean, he was he was one of those guys that was always, how do you say, uh, the phrase I'm looking for here is uh, uh, performance guaranteed is what I'm looking for. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I think actually now that I think about it, I think that he may have played one of the bridge crew in one of the Star Trek films for like yeah. a couple of seconds. Well, hell, I mean, in the last couple of years he was alive, he did, uh, oh, God, was it uh, Iron Man 2 or Iron Man 3? What? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, he was in one of the Iron Man movies. He was he the, one of the political guys or something? He was, uh, oh, God, I'm trying to remember. I think he was uh, the vice president. I think, That's I William Sadler. That. Is that? William oh. Sadler was the vice president number three. Whether or not he was in number two, I can't Oh, man, I... I would really be pissed off if I missed him in one of those movies. Oh, but, wait um, a minute. The, William Sadler was the president. Miguel Ferrer was the vice president. That's right. You know what? You know what? Yes, you're you're correct. Because I he remember was that in, he was, wasn't in it very much, but he's also one of those guys. Well, that, was he know, sort of like, well, was he sort of like, well, if he's out there, he's never coming back. So let's get this thing in order. Like he kind of made it sound like he wanted to, uh, Leave him for dead slightly. On that, <laughs> I remember right. Oh yeah. Which is totally right. Miguel. That's just... Miguel over and under. But people talk <laughs> shit about um, the Night Flyer. I've heard people talk shit about the design, and I remember thinking, I loved that design because he seemed so otherworldly. The head was slightly too big, and then he had that really sort of. Um, it was. It was almost kind of. It almost looked as if it was like a, a snake fang because it's sort of yeah. you could almost like it almost looked like it was transparent, like it was hollow on the inside it had venom or something. Yeah, like but it, it had like that one tube. big fang in the front and it looked really odd. And I loved it. I loved that whole because I loved the story to begin with. So then when I saw the film, I thought it kept to it so well. And I guess that that part with the um, where you see the reflection of the urinal. Yeah, and, and, and he's pissing blood into oh the my urinal. God. I guess I guess that Stephen King is like, I don't know about that movie, but I love that scene. He was like, I would have I would have had that scene in the in the story if I would have thought of it. <laughs> but I um I totally love that. Um, no, no, you can't. Sorry, go, no, 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 go right ahead, go right ahead. I was gonna say, I think that one. That gets short, uh, short shrift, but I think it's very, very important to sort of like the contemporary uh, revisiting and the reconsidering of vampires is Blade. Yeah. I think that that was an um, important movie for that because I think that with Blade, you had a vital part because like when you think of vampires, you don't necessarily think action. And I think that it managed to marry the two perfectly and the idea of like familiars, which they sort of touch on in most vampire things, but I don't think I don't think they did it to the um, to the effect that Blade did. To be honest, 
Um, well, Blade came out that, around the same time as Underworld did, and I think that both those movies kind of reinvented the vampire mythology in, in a manner of speaking, you know, to bring it to the tune of, you know, vampires can, you know, be sexy, they can be lethal, but they can, it can, they can also uh, commit to, to being in an action movie, you know, that, that they can marry those two genres. Yeah, I mean, I, I just watched, I just revisited Underworld for the first time in a long time, and I really dug it. It actually kind of reminded me, I don't know if you're familiar with this, there's a television called, uh, uh, television show called The Kindred. Dude, I was hoping that's the one you were going to mention. I love The Kindred. Yeah, I that and that is totally accidental on my part. I was at Half Price Books one day, long, long ago. And I just saw this big old VHS set of the Kindred, and I just tried it out, and I ended up really digging the hell out of it. Well, it's like the, you know, um, it was the call. What was it called? The full name Kindred the Embraced. And it only right. went for, I mean, it only went for one season. I think there was seven, maybe eight episodes, but it was like mixing, you know, it was like mi mixing vampires with the Godfather or vampires with West Side Story right. or something, you know? Yeah, was, yeah, definitely. Which I think you could do. And I, you know, I've never seen Innocent Blood, but I thought they, I thought I read that they had done that with that as well. Oh, Innocent Blood's great. That's uh, one of my <laughs> that's one of my favorite uh, vampire comedies. It, it's a comedy. It's you know it's got a it's got enough horror in it. It's got enough action and it's got enough uh, you know comedy in it. It's very it's a very well balanced you know. But I mean you know what I mean between the 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 comedy and the horror and the action, but. Uh, yeah, but Innocent Blood's great, but man, getting back to the Kindred, you talk about a TV show that just I felt like didn't get its uh, just day in court. That the, the fact that they never, you know, made a second season of that is just it's a sacrilege. It's so it's so <laughs> it's it's so sad. You know, yeah, we, I mean, we can I, get uh, I totally... more than ten seasons of the Big Bang Theory, but we get you know oh <laughs> one my God. season of Kindred. Don't even get me started. There are so many damn shows. Santa Clarita Diet. I mourn that show. I mourn oh. that show. I mourn it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Me too. Me too. Yeah. I I have never in my life met someone who not only watched the Kindred Kinder the Embrace but liked it. And I remember thinking when I watched it, and you totally nailed it. It's it's the Godfather with fangs, and I I think that may have been. What really gave it this uh, this grounded depth was, you know, there were, of course there were some like goofy parts here and there, but I think that it really had that whole thing about like family, like the underworld of like dealing behind the scenes, like a uh, organized crime would have, and all that stuff. I I think you nailed that. I think that, that was great. And uh, just to kind of come across it by accident, I man, I watched the hell out of those VHSs. I know that. Yeah, I ended up like a couple of years ago uh, tracking down the the DVD box because the DVD set has, I think, an extra episode. I think they might have only aired 
seven, six or seven, and then they had like an extra episode on there. That was, was previously that a Canadian on, production. I'm pretty sure. I, I'm not a hundred percent positive on that. I'm not remembering quite, quite exactly. But um, yeah. Uh, I, I want to say it was maybe a like a, a U.S. slash, you know, Canadian co-production might have been, might have been. But I'm talking out my ass on that one. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think for my all, biggest complaint all I know was filmed in California for all I know. <laughs> I think I think that my biggest complaint cuz as I've grown and as I've matured very very slightly. I mean, it, it's to be said I, I haven't matured that much. But I think that as <laughs> I become more at least more seasoned, I think the thing that occurs to me is um a long time ago I had I was creating a character and I just made them like almost infallible and somebody said, you know, it's it's the flaws that make characters interesting. And I think that with uh, there, t- there, there seems to be this tendency uh, in the contemporary cinema to it's almost as if like they don't want uh, they, they don't want a, a sad ending. They don't want a, an ending where someone doesn't entirely succeed. And I think that they don't like to have like flaws. And maybe this is also like a convenience hookup or uh, a comedian's hang up where they say, well, it would be such a, it would be so much easier if the vampires could walk around in the daytime and it would be so much easier if they didn't have to just subsist on blood. And it would be so much easier if they didn't have to be invited in. The thing that I hate the most about some of the contemporary retellings of vampire stuff is that they throw a lot of rules in the garbage or they start yeah. coming up with different rules and normally i think i would say well you know stretch out see what you can do and you know maybe make some changes have been around for a long time but i think that when it comes to the vampire rules i think that it gives you uh i think that their flaws give you more storytelling opportunities rather than less i think that if they you know and they never quite you, you never quite hear a lot of these vampire hunters complain about people who try to attack in at, at nighttime. It seems like whenever they go to the damn coffin, it's always at nighttime or it's like at dusk. Like why on earth wouldn't you go at like seven in the morning when the sun's like high in the sky? Why wouldn't you do it then? I just don't, you know, you don't hear a whole lot of that, but you know, I mean, I think that- a, a, a good example of that is uh, John Carpenter's vampires. Whenever they go to try to find them and they don't, I mean, uh, you know, but they they go in the daytime. They don't just do it exactly in the most uh, convenient of ways, or the very or the most smartest of ways. But that's the only one I can think of where the vampire hunters really actually do attack at I, night, I, or, or not at night, but during the day. I mean, like even in Fright Night, you know, they we which we both already talked about and got some love for Peter Vincent and Charlie. What do they do? They go there at night. They, I mean, this doesn't doesn't seem practical or wise. If you're gonna, I've got a love hate relationship. I've got a love hate relationship with the Carpenter's Vampires because I was lucky enough to have read the book before I saw the movie. On the in the book in the movie bear no resemblance to each other whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, because I've read the book, John Stakely book, right? Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Uh, and I was I was disappointed they didn't at least put the the dollar sign on the s at least. But I did <laughs> like how um, I did like how ruthlessly like exterminators they were in most respects. 
where it's like, okay, we're not even going to try to touch these guys. We're going to hit them with the hook. We're going to bring them. We're going to have the winch bring them outside and burn them. It was a very uh, exterminator-like uh, view of things, which I, I can respect that. I kind of got into how, you know, they, they worked hard and partied hard. But it didn't do much for the vampire lore. Uh, they started kind of making up mythologies and stuff. And um, I think that if you have... There are some tried. I think there's there are reasons why there are tried and true things. So if you want to completely throw them out, you better come up with something better. And a lot of times, like in fact, there's there are a lot of rules from olden times that they could implement. And I would really be interested in seeing, you know, uh, what they like. I've always loved the invitation rule. I've always oh, thought yeah, that was to be able wonderful. To invite them in, yeah. I mean that kid scratching at the window in Salem's lot, like oh that game needs you to tell be. me Willie's is a kid like literally oh, that's like, like to no end. So simple. I think that when it comes to vampires, I think that uh, simplicity can get can go a long way because to be honest with you, when I hear people talk about like the the freakiest, creepiest, scariest parts in vampire films, that little tiny thing of the kid floating up and talking to someone that loves him, his brother, and just scritch scratching on the window, floating outside the window. It's so surreal, but it's also so um, relatable. You could totally see yourself in the position of the brother. And I also think that that's a much different relationship that, that ever gets examined. I think that when it's usually kind of like a romantic or, seductive thing i think that when you start working with familial bonds that had to do with something other than like you know the mother, father towards the child, or their romantic life. I think when you start getting into other things, it becomes way super primal. That's a totally primal thing. And I think that's why that that one in particular really turns people over. And that I I was always um, a major league fan of the Nosferatu influence on that guy's design. Oh, yeah, Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, the main vampire. Yeah, I love it. Um, I love that. I and that also, um, that also had the the familiar as like a major point in that as well. So I don't think that you can stray too far away from sort of like the ancient uh, rules. And yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I also, I also, sorry. I was just gonna say, I think you can stray a little bit. You can put your own spin on certain aspects, but when you start. Uh, like for instance, and again, I almost hate, like I said, to bring it up, but you, when you you know bring up certain things like in Twilight, you know, the like them playing baseball, like that whole idea behind that, and then uh, uh, like that was, was so just. Dippy. I just remember looking over so at my day, the the girl that uh, I I went to go see this movie because she wanted to go see it. I, I was very adamant about seeing something else at the time, but I, I gave in. I caved. And that was one of the, <laughs> I have to say, one of the worst dates I'd ever been on. Uh, not just because of the movie, but I'll get into that another time. 
but it was just I like, think that if you, like they're playing if, baseball like vampires playing baseball like for real what, what it was just it, for some reason it was so visually dippy that it was just it it was horrible but i think that when you and i agree with you i think that you can kind of play with it but you have to have reverence in doing it and i think that if you change things because i thought it was actually kind of interesting with the whole like their bodies were different because Anne rice sort of like got slightly into that where like when she would talk about Lestat and the vampires like their their fingernails were like transparent like glass and stuff so like they could get into like the the visual physical differences but i think that once you start getting into the fact that like you know they can run around in the daytime it's almost like a cosmetic thing the reason why they stay inside they don't have to have human blood at some point you need to make it a new monster if you're yeah. going to change so many things, you need to make a new monster, which Stephen King attempted to do in Sleepwalkers, much to the dismay. And uh, and <laughs> I love that movie because it is so goddamn strange. Hey, but I do think that he was attempting to for make Clovis, a new monster. Man. Justice for Clovis, man. Justice for Clovis. I have a button. Absolutely. That I, that I uh, there was a like a uh, a special thing like I think it was in the back of Fangoria or might have been Gorzo magazine where you could write in and get a special edition uh, Clovis for President button with a picture of his paw you know Clovis's paw like tearing down the center of the button and somewhere the other day I was looking and it was an old lockbox and a bunch of stuff I had in the closet I found my old like Sleepwalkers. Clovis button, so yeah, I'm I'm Team Clovis all the way. <laughs> That's fantastic. But I mean, I I think that it's difficult to make new monsters because almost invariably they're going to be um, they're going to be compared to something that already existed. So when you do that with vampires, I mean, you um, I'm trying to think. There was one vampire where I can't remember. Maybe you will where they did so much damage to the neck that the heads kept falling off. It was so oh. vicious that they just tore all the muscles and all the everything like out of the neck when they were doing it, and the heads practically fell off. Oh, I'm, it, 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 it's like right on the back of my, my – right on the tip of my tongue here. Uh, well, I'm, as a palate – I'm picturing it in my head. Uh, since I was home with Lucy and I have to curate everything – so I was like, I think Buffy the Vampire Slayer film will, I think that'll be all right. And we watched it, and I realized, not only have I watched, it's been so long since I've seen that. All I could think of was, I was like, man, the vampires in this movie are completely inconsequential. <laughs> yeah, right. And for having a vampire in the title, they're totally inconsequential in that movie. But, uh, yeah. but when you have, you know, Rooker Hauer is what sold that movie for me. You know, as yeah, the lead I mean, he's vampire. The, he's the shining star. He's the shining star in that movie. And then sure. along comes Paul Rubens, who completely steals the show. <laughs> you know. I thought, because sometimes they would slip, um, they would slip lines in with Paul Rubens, that if you really paid attention, he was one of the most brutal killers uh, from his lines, anyway, uh, in the movie. I love the line he, he has someone, when he looks at the guy and he goes, kill him a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's I funny. That but there was one he said he he said something like that jaw won't flap as much when I bite it off. Something yeah. like that. So like he had the potential to be um 
really super lethal. But, you know, it, it's all played for laughs. And I'm okay with that because, man, I love Love at First Bite. George Hamilton. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the disco the disco Dracula, man. Like, I, that's so much fun. I watched that when I was a kid, you know. Like, there, the, you can have fun with it. There's fun to be had. But I mean, is this like uh, Once Bitten with, with Jim Carrey, yeah. another Jim Carrey movie? Fucking amazing. Amazingly fun. Yeah, man. I mean, especially when you think of, like, uh, I think they kind of missed an opportunity with Lauren Hutton because she already had that space in between her teeth. That would have been great to go for, like, the Nosferatu look with that one because she already had that, you know? She probably and nixed that so, in the bud. She's like, no, no, you're not drawing any attention to this, no. <laughs> they sort of had... Um, uh, a glut of those movies where it was like my best friend's a vampire, my boyfriend's a vampire, vampire in college. Like they they had all that stuff and it was very fun. I don't think that they quite had. Uh, I mean, not to mix monsters, but I think that there were parts in Teen Wolf, the film, that were very grounded and very emotional, and somehow like went beyond the the creature. And I can't remember any of those sort of like teeny bopper comedy vampire films that, that really did that. Um, I think the closest one would have been Vampire's Kiss. Because oh, that's, yeah, how you take, cage, yeah. that's how you take it and, and turn it on its head. Vampire's Kiss is how you turn a vampire on its head. Because even at the end, even at the end, you don't know whether or not he was just a lunatic or not. Yeah, I love that they leave it kind of open-ended. It's, it's totally open to interpretation to whether or not, you know, that, you know, was he a vampire or was he just, you know, completely full-blown wackaloon? And, you know, being kind of like a, I'm not going to say a student, but being kind of like a, a reader of the lore and stuff, one thing that I have to say irritates the living shit out of me is when someone pu puts a stake in and then pulls it out. And then the vampire falls yes. down. That's because, one of, actually, uh, I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about things about vampire lore or things that happen in vampire movies that you find annoying. I'm glad you brought that up because we'll touch base okay. on it. That's one of the things that I do find highly annoying. So as we were talking about our pet peeves and things that get under our skin, no pun intended, with vampires and vampire lore, <laughs> I know you were talking about one of yours, but one of mine, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I do agree with you that the idea of like as soon as they stake a vampire and they pull the stake out, like, again, like much as I love uh, Fright Night, Peter Vincent does that to Evil Ed and, he, you know, as soon as he stakes him, he dies he just pulls the stake right out. It's like, um, that kind of negates everything you just work for, dude. <laughs> yeah, but, especially since, as far as I know from the lore that I had read, the the whole idea of what the stake was for was to pin them to wherever they were so they couldn't get loose. Yeah, it was to so, pin them to the So, as far as I know, yeah, as far as I know, it wasn't even to kill, like, they didn't even think it was going to kill them. They just thought it was going to keep them there. And actually, I saw something where in a cemetery... I think it was in like Herzegovina or something. They found a skeleton that had like a brick between its teeth. 
Oh wow! So they they think that they that may have been an accused vampire after they um, after they buried them. They put a brick in between their jaws, which after it was all over, I was like, damn, because I I couldn't think of another reason why they would do that. So <laughs> right. I thought that that was I thought that was pretty indicative. So yeah, it's just you know it, it seems to me anybody that knows even a slight bit about the vampire lore, if you were going to encounter a vampire in you know. And not, not like they're talking like they're real or nothing, but it's just one of those. It's just like, uh, <laughs> does anybody in these movies are they meta enough to to think to themselves like, it's just like you know like when uh, people encounter zombies in a movie, they act like they've never seen a zombie in zombie lore or zombie movies or zombie books or anything like that. They don't know to to aim for the head or at least to try. It's just like I don't I don't know. It, it just seems a little. A little silly when they do that, but what what gets me the 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 one thing I I, I grinds my gears so to speak in a vampire movie when you see a vampire blatantly wasting blood, like they're drinking blood oh and they're just God, letting it, yeah. they're just letting it like fall out of their mouth or just stream down their face or down the the, the victim. It's just like that's your 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 food. You don't do that. You I don't mean, see. I, uh, I kind of get the um, like the orgiastic thing that might occur where it's just they just get so blood crazed that, you know, it it goes all over them. And but I but when it's like actively pumping out and they move from like one to the next one, I find yeah. that to be ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. But that's yeah, that's one of the things that that uh, just. Yeah, it literally grinds my gears. It's just like, oh, I'm like that, that's your life's blood. No pun intended. That's that's your, you know, that's your food. You know, <laughs> you don't. I actually, you know, I was gonna say uh, uh, one thing that I noticed, and um, at the time I was like, wait, wait, what does what does that mean in uh, Lost Boys, where they invite uh, they invite the elder guy over for dinner, and he's like, ah, oh. <laughs> and they're like, what's wrong? He's like, garlic and everybody's looking at him like yeah yeah what's gonna happen next and he and he's like you don't like garlic do you bloodsucker or whatever he's like no i actually do like garlic this is way way too much i actually <laughs> like that in hindsight as i got older because i was under the impression that like the way they make it sound is if garlic is even in the vicinity touches them they taste it they just start roasting and, and going crazy and it's all a big problem i was under the impression through like my readings and stuff is that it was just supposed to deter them because of the smell. Like you'd put it around your window and then they would move on to another window because of the smell. I didn't, I don't even think that there was even any sort of, uh, I don't think it was supposed to work as even like a physical ward or anything. I, I think that it was just supposed to be stinky in more than a way. Yeah. I, I, I thought so too. I always thought it was like the same thing as, uh, Oh, like they did in Dracula, you know, uh, Wolvesbane, that it was just basically something that was deterrent. It was like insect repellent. It's not going to, like, kill them, but it's just going to keep them away from you. You know, it's not so much of a thing like, oh, it's going to poison them or or do harm to them. You know, it's not like a, a, it's not like holy water. You know, holy water can burn and dissolve a vampire, but eh, it depends on, I guess, you know. Every bit of vampire lore that like they take a little bit of liberties with it, but yeah, the, the, I, the I guess it irritates me that they 
um, that they haven't kind of uh, capitalized on some of them. Like, were you aware of the one where they can't cross running water? Yes. Yeah. yeah I've heard that I just recently of- found out about that one in the last five years or so. And uh, I think that that, I don't know how you see that, but I see that as like a purity issue. I don't know if it has, uh, I don't know what the actual meaning as to why they wouldn't be able to do that. But I thought it had something to do with like the purity of water that's moving instead of stagnant. That's kind of the way I saw that. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I mean, I know that's part of the lore. I can't remember where it's based. It's a certain kind of vampire that uh, can't cross over running water. It's like the, there was one way of, uh, it was some sort of vampire. I can't remember the specific kind, but there was one that had to be, if it was going to be buried, it had to be buried underneath running water, like underneath a stream, oh. underneath a river, like in a riverbed. And that it, that was okay. the only way to make it sleep. There's also part of a vampire lore that I remember reading in several books where they have to, if you put grain or salt or like grains of sand or, or grains of rice in front of like their domicile, like wherever they sleep at night, they have to, if you, if you put a pile of sand or not a pile of sand, a pile of salt, I believe it was, uh, in front of the door, they have to count every grain before they can enter. And if they don't count it before they enter, they burn up in the sun. Well, it's and interesting. Then, uh, I didn't know in, about that until probably, I think I learned that about the time I learned the running water thing. And when I did, I also found out that that's was kind of the basis for the Muppet when they, when they had him do the counting. Because like a vampire is obsessed with counting those things before it can move ahead. Apparently, like... Uh, Jim Henson and those guys knew about that lore, and then they integrated that into the count. Huh. I guess that makes sense, yeah. I never thought of that. I didn't know that. I was like, you know, that's probably an apocryphal story. Someone probably said, hey, Jim, you know, uh, you came with a count a long time ago, and, you know, this is a total thing. It's probably something where he didn't even know. But they they say that they knew about it at the time they integrated that. But either way, I think it's very cool. Yeah, that might just be, you know, a happy accident, but, you know, hey. Who knows? Who knows? Now, we br- I briefly mentioned, uh, I guess you could say, the granddaddy of the malt, Dracula. Now, there's so many different iterations of Dracula. You, you got the Hammer Horror movies, uh, the Dracula films with Christopher Lee. You got, obviously, uh, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Francis Ford Coppola's version with Gary Oldman. You got multiple versions of it. You got Dracula 3000 here, uh, Dracula uh, Dead Loving It, and you you got Bela Lugosi's version of Dracula. Now, so many different versions and so many different, uh, I guess you could say, iterations of Dracula. Do you have a personal favorite? Um, I would, um, when it comes to the personal favorite for Dracula, that's a tough one because for me, it seems like there it's like a, a quilt. You've got one element that works in one, you've got one element that works in another one. It seems like no one's quite got all of them handled. I think that Coppola could have really if he would have gotten away from some of the elements that he brought in to make it such a sumptuous uh, rich tapestry that he put together with that. Maybe even 
it's such a bodice ripper, the one that he came up with, you know. Uh, but he did so much right. He did so much right with it, though. Um, I think favorite. I'm, I always have a, a trouble with favorites. I would say that um, the one that strikes me, I'd have to say iconic, because if I say faithful, it's really difficult to come up with one. But I would say yeah, because um, none of them really are very faithful. Lot, most of them do take a lot of liberties w- with the with the source material. I have to admit, yeah. I think that I'm veering. I'm actually veering toward Jack Palance. I think really? because I was yeah, defined, nice. I was to find later that he was the basis for um, the Tomb of Dracula, Marvel Comics Dracula. The look of him that I always thought was very striking. And then when I saw the film, I realized that they based it on Jack Palance's look, even though he's um, his accent is completely out of place. There was <laughs> yeah, something about bit. him. There was something about his take on it that gave it a, a because it seems like when they do Dracula, they always have to make him like, oh, the pain of waiting across the centuries from my lady love and all this stuff. Whereas with Palance, he just looked like he carried the weight of ages like on his back he always looked like he he kind of had this look like he was in pain all the time so i don't know if it was supposed to be hunger or like all the years that have have gone by and now he's trying to exist in like a a more modern world and and stuff i just really liked his take on it it wasn't perfect nobody's perfect i would say if you had to say all the elements that went into bram stoker's dracula you'd almost have to say that it might be the closest one, but it still misses the mark. Gary Oldman is an absolute master and he was my favorite for a long time. But I think that over time they, I mean, I guess that that one is the the only one that I can remember that employed the, the three friends sort of like the, the hunters. Yeah. 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 I think that's the only one that's, um, that's included those. So I'd have to say when it comes to faithfulness, that that's gotta be close to the top of the list. Although I guess that Jess Franco or was it Jess Franco? Somebody did one with Christopher Lee where he was sort of like mustached and bearded and it showed him like a, in a Vlad the Impaler sort of stuff. So it showed him in a couple of the different versions of Dracula that happened in the book and all that. I would love to see, um, a really super duper faithful version of it, but I doubt it'll ever happen because uh, it's just kind of difficult. You have to have an atmospheric and you almost have to have Dracula be something that isn't quite as defined as it ends up being later on where, you know, you kind of see him like scurrying up the wall. Like I, I can't help it. I keep coming back to Bram Stoker's Dracula, even though there was so much that could have, it was like missed opportunities, but the sort of like man bat and like the man wolf that they did, he was climbing up the walls. They had the brides and then the friends. So, I mean, I guess you'd have to say that that's almost the most faithful one in pieces. Um, I think the thing that kind of soured the look for me was uh, I can't, I can think of any other way to say it than like the boob head iteration. Oh yeah. Yeah. With the, the the weird hair buns that he kind of had. I think that that was so radical that it sort of took me out of like, I think if, if he would have just kind of 
had the white hair just kind of draped over and all that. Sort of like more of the um, the Bill Nye thing in Underworld. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think he looked great. I think that they would have kind of sub. I think it's kind of crazy that like the hair makes a difference, but they <laughs> were does. going so it much is, on it is detail. Just a off. It's just uh, it's just off a couple of. Things. I think distracting. I think distracting is the word for it because when you had things where he would move and then his shadow wouldn't quite move with him. There were so many little esoteric and like creepy and, and phantasmagorical things in that movie that if I were to be able to like pluck things out and put stuff in, I would pluck Keanu Reeves out. I would pluck the hair out. And I think honestly, I actually had a conversation with someone about this very recently. I think I would have recast Van Helsing. I think that Anthony Hopkins was such a large personality in that movie. He I was almost to... as evil and as evilly compelling as Dracula himself. He, he was. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I would have gone for a more. Uh, I would have liked a more haunted Van Helsing, where like he almost instead of being like, uh, "Jack, you will finally have my chance to get the butt out." He's like celebrating and drinking and eating. I think that I would have preferred a more haunted Van Helsing. But, I agree. I agree. I mean, uh, who knows? But I mean, uh, have you ever seen the uh, the Frank Langella one? Yes, and not much of a fan. I'm 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 not a huge Frank Langella fan. I, I think he kind of he he just doesn't have the the charm or charisma that I I want to see in a Dracula. You know, you I know? think that what he may I think what he may have brought to that was a hypnotic stare. Yeah, he but had the eyes. He had the eyes for it. There's a. I think that some. Who would have thought that you could have wasted Lawrence Olivier in a role? Yep. Yeah. So like that. That one doesn't. Uh, I'm not so sure that deserves a footnote in history. But especially since for some reason they mixed up Mina and Lucy, just for no reason at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's just very weird. It's a very uneven version of Dracula. I mean, even. Uh, there was a version of Dracula that came out that's a, uh, I think it's um, on Netflix. That was a three episode, like three feature films. They did it in three parts of Dracula that just came out last year in 2020. It was like a basically TV miniseries. It was all three episodes together was like five hours long. And there I was really a guy, wanted to watch that. Yeah, I forget the actor's name. That, He's got a really intensely Gaelic name, I think. Yeah, it's really difficult to say. I can't remember what it is, and uh, I, I, sh- I should just cheat and look it up on IMDb, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it's but, like a uh, bunch of consonants like mixed together. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it was a oh god. Okay, I'm going to look it up. I was interested in watching that, <laughs> but then I heard, and then I heard and read that there was like this um, Catholic nun secret society of hunters thing and stuff, and. I would have liked it if they would have um, really gone source material on that one, but I think that they completely departed from it. But I haven't watched it. Yeah, I want um, his know. name is. Uh, I'm gonna probably mispronounce this, but I'm gonna say Clace Bang. His last name is spelled B-A-N-G. Bang. Uh, but oh, he's, oh well. But he has a very he he, uh, he just he was a very good Dracula. He 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 through the three different versions they do they're the three different like 
episodes are basically three movies they all take place in different times and different like timelines and he plays oh, a very he t- yeah he played you know goes from you know like the 1890s to like modern not modern day but like a little bit later and then it goes like full on into the future it oh uh, shit okay. yeah the third up ep- the third episode takes it in one weird ass direction that i've never seen the van the not vampire lore, but the Dracula lore taken into. I don't want to say anything more than that because I would hate to ruin uh, any of that for you or or anybody that's listening that hasn't seen it. But then again, if if you're here, you're, we're, we usually spoil stuff anyway. But it's uh, I liked it. It was a really really neat idea and a neat version of of Dracula. Not my favorite now. If I had to pick a favorite. Again, uh, like you said, that's kind of hard to pick one. I would have to say, you know, it depends on what day you ask me. I am a traditional guy. I really do like uh, Bela Lugosi. I, I love his iteration of, of and his version of Dracula. Although, you know, he would only play Dracula twice. He was made so famous for that fucking role, but he only played him twice. It wasn't like, you know, Boris Karloff, where he played, you know, Frankenstein several times. But... Uh, you know, and it almost like was an accident that he played him in, um, you know, Evan Costello meet Frankenstein, which was, you know, not really canon, I guess, if you think about it, but still a great. It kind of saddens me a little bit. I mean, they're great and they're fun, but it it's sort of when I watch those, I get a little bit of a sinking in my stomach a little bit because I'm like, oh, my God, how much money did these guys need at the time to do these things? But <laughs> <A lot>. uh, <laughs> have, oh, I, wanted to, I had a question. I had a question for you. Have you heard about the Voyage of Demeter movie coming out? You know, I did hear some rumblings about that, but I don't know much about it. I'm not uh, sure. Apparently, the entire movie, apparently, the entire movie is the Voyage of the Demeter from the original Dracula book, where he's coming over to Carfax Abbey. The entire movie is just on the boat, where when it crashes up on land, like the wolf jumps off and the guy's has strapped himself to the wheel and stuff. So it's based the on that there, one part of the book, huh? Is this yes. like on that one chapter? Huh. Yes. And I, I love that idea because, and especially when we were talking about the Night Flyer and stuff, I think that there's a tendency to take um, short works and expand them and long works and contract them. I like the idea of taking a chapter and making a film out of it. Because then, like, if there's enough meat in one chapter... Especially if it's like a chapter that's that hasn't really been explored. As far as I know, nobody's explored what happened on the boat when he's coming over, and I love it. Especially since I guess the guy that they're uh, they're casting as Dracula in the film was the guy who did like the physical manifestation of Mama. Like the um, he's kind of like a contortionist, and okay, he's very, yeah. very and he's very very tall. So I'm thinking. At some point, you're just going to see him, like, scurrying up the sail, like, during a storm and shit. Like, it sounds... I'm totally into it. That sounds like a great idea to me. That does, not as I'm looking it up, I see that Liam Cunningham, who is one of my favorite actors from Game of Thrones, is in it. I don't know who he's playing, but I'm down. Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely into that. And I also like the idea... I mean, especially when it comes to, like, we were talking about sort of playing around with the lore of, of vampires... I think it's most effective when in, instead of playing around with the lore or uh, the, uh, the rules and stuff too much is when you put it in a completely unexpected environment, like I would have to say that near dark is a Western. 
I'm glad you brought up Near Dark because that was one I definitely wanted to touch base on. It's just a, it's just a, and it is, it is, it's a Western that happens to have vampires in it. It's straight yeah. up a Western. And, uh, and you know, modern at the same time, too. It's modern, uh, a Western, to me, and it has vampires. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of multicultural in a way. <laughs> As uh, my, one, my one buddy, uh, Scott Tupperman, would say, it's, it's not only his favorite vampire movie, but it's his favorite movie of all time. Now, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's my favorite movie of all time, but I will have to say Near Dark is my favorite vampire film. So I'm glad we actually got to, to touch base on it. And I'm I'm very happy. I know we already talked about remakes a couple episodes back, but I had heard for a while that they were planning a near dark remake that apparently has been shot down multiple times and is pretty much uh, at least at this point dead in the water. And uh, I hope it stays dead like a staked vampire because I, I I'm for <laughs> I'm for, I'm for some remakes. Some re- movies I think can be remade and be made better. <laughs> I don't think you can capture anything within near dark and make it better. It's it's a damn near perfect film. I love it. And the fact that they never say the word vampire, not one time in the film, it's kind of like, uh, you know, they, they were not ignoring their own lore, but they were making their own lore. I mean, yeah, they, they stayed out of the daylight. They had, they didn't need stake in the heart. But they, they drank blood, they stayed out of the daylight, and they obviously had lived forever. I love the scene where they're talking, and uh, Adrian Pazdar as Caleb is just talking to uh, Jesse and Severin and everybody with the gang. And he's just like, you know, how old are you? <laughs> and uh, Lance Anderson is like, well, let's say I fought for the South. And he's like, hmm, the South? And he's like, yeah, we lost. And they're making little winks and nods like, you know. So great. You know, remember the fire we shot, we started in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, I and they kind of played. They weren't so heavy-handed with um, the. Hi, I'm a vampire and I'm really super young, but I'm actually old. Like I think that they did it much better than they did Claudia, in Interview with the Vampire, mm-hmm. because it seems like they were constantly bringing that up, and there was that big um, thing of contention for her. Whereas in that, it's just understood, and no one really pines over it and talks about it constantly. It's just an understood thing. I love the idea of Lance Henriksen, like, having these fake nails made and, like, snapping them off and making them all jagged and crazy looking himself, like, walking around in the outfit. Like, apparently he terrorized, like, wherever they were at. He just kind of, like... Walked around yeah. as Jesse all the time, just freak people out. That that sounds Can like something Lance would do. I mean, it's like, okay, so we need a gaunt, weathered guy, Lance Henderson, speed dial. <laughs> like I'd have, I'd have to say, man, I'd have to say, if if I could go to another dimension and see the Lance Henderson Terminator film. Oh yes. Especially when I hear the stories about like how he like stormed into the room with wearing a leather jacket and like putting tin foil in his mouth to make his teeth look robotic. <laughs> I'm like, that was a guy that was trying to sell it hard. I would love oh to see gosh. an alternate reality with Lance Hendrickson as the Terminator, without a doubt.
normally I would have thought this is a little bit of a cop out, but I did like the Tim Thomerson veterinarian character being able to sort of like blood transfuse him out of the vampire thing. I kind of dug it. Yeah, I thought it was good yeah, for a I final did too. Story. And, and, uh, and I'm a sucker for anything that even has two seconds of Tim Thomerson in it. So you put Tim Thomerson oh, yeah. in it, it just lends credibility to the to the film, as far as I'm concerned. But getting past that, they, uh, they didn't dwell on it. They, you know what I mean? It was another thing, like oh, yeah. uh, like with the the Homer character. You know, like they they tapped into that idea that he was a little kid stuck. You know, a, a, a you know, a, a guy who was much older stuck in a little kid's body, you know, because they even have the line, you know what it's like to be, you know, a li- little guy or a big guy on the inside and a small guy on the outside and Severin's just like, you know what it's like to hear about it every night and they just cut, you know, they just... Yeah, you know, I mean, is that I'm not the anti-Claudia or what? Like, that that's great. That's totally great. And also... They did, every, they did everything but say, shut up, kid. <laughs> talking about Severin, for sure. Like, Severin is definitely one of those iconic guys... Um, and with, with his, well, I was actually, I was thinking about it earlier where, uh, there's an element to vampires that it seems like they've really been leaving out lately. And that is vampires seeing humans as playthings, where they can yes. go in and sort of be like impish where they'll be like, look at all these, look at all these little, little beings that we think are as, as food they can't beat us. They can't seduce us. They can't trick us. They can't outmatch us. Like there's, and then they just play with their food the whole time. It's just that bar scene is one of the best oh. scenes in vampire history for sure. One of the best scenes in movie history. I I remember embarrassing uh, my grandmother by playing that when we, <laughs> me and my mother used to watch this movie religiously, like all the time when it came out. It had a VHS that we wore out. And there, my grandmother at one point had uh, was having some repairs done on her house, so we were playing that scene while they were like re- this, this construction crew was remodeling her bathroom, you know. And you get the whole just the whole spiel that Severin's given when he's just going off, you know. Oh, yeah, I'll tell you one about Buffalo Bill and all that. <laughs> we played it if anything just to embarrass my grandmother, and it worked. Because she was such a <laughs> such a prim and proper lady, and, and she was, I'm so ashamed of you too. And it's like, oh, good. Then we're doing our job. We're doing our job, aren't we? But <laughs> I mean, but every I, time I see uh, it, I it two things occur to me when I see the bar scene. The first is what an absolute loss of Bill Paxton. That was the first thing that occurs to me. Yeah. And the second thing yeah. is how much of an actor was he because apparently that blood mixture tasted like absolute dog shit and he made it look like that was the best tasting candy he ever had throughout that whole everything <laughs> I love, it was wonderful i love the line as he's licking it up from his fingers and he says his finger licking good but but he What's has that that was an ad lib and i think the other line that was ad libbed was when he says uh I hate him when they ain't been shaved. Oh. <laughs> I love it. That always just that. Oh, my God. How visceral can you get? How visceral can you get? That was such a, a line. That was great shit, well, man. When he's, and so many people haven't seen that movie, and it is a damn shame. You know, I think what the thing was, you know, and this is something we got to talk about, too. It came out the same year as uh, Lost Boys, and Lost Boys kind of – took everything by storm and kind of, you know, t- 
took the younger crowd by storm and near dark just you know it didn't have any fresh blood you know what i mean you know it had already that on thumb had to go there i'm going for the low-hanging fruit man going for the low-hanging fruit here i do every time but still i mean i love both movies don't get me wrong i love lost boys i love near dark but if you get have to make me take on a sophie's choice there's there's no hesitation near dark each and every time i think that with near dark i see near dark as a once a year film i don't like to glove myself on it because it's such a perfect thing for me it's such a dusty uh I mean, I would love to see if anyone ever had like a Western uh, marathon, I would love to see someone actually include that because there's a lot of things that that West that that has that a lot of modern Westerns don't even have. There's like this mystique about where they are. And um, and there's there's definitely a um, they've managed to very I mean, I'm, I'm tempted to say subtle, but it's not very subtle because you can you can feel it and see it. So it's not incredibly subtle, but I guess you'd say understated um, addiction statement because well, they really make with, the, uh, drugs, especially drug with Caleb habit. as he's changing and turning. Well, that, that's who I'm. That's who I'm referring to because, like, when he's at the bus station in uh, in particular, like you could totally have made this a heroin movie and it looked exactly the same. So I thought that that really worked out well. And sort of gave you a uh, an underlying thing to give you a better idea about what what it would be like if you're in his shoes and stuff. And I uh, and Tim Tarmason, totally believable. Like he absolutely embodied that guy. I don't think you could have cast that better if you tried. Oh yeah, um, Tim Thomerson is such an understated actor. He uh, uh, I became a big fan of his mostly through the the full moon years with him playing play Jack Death and Doll Man and, and and you know so many other characters and for Charles Band. But every, every time I see if I see a movie and I notice it's got him in it, I'm totally invested with his character each time. Every speaking, time. Speaking of full moon. Uh, I think that one that really took me by surprise and I ended up thinking was very charming was Sundown. Oh, I Sundown the Last Vampire? Yeah, I found that, that very no, charming. Uh, Sundown the Vampire in Retreat, that was the name of it. That's right, yeah, that's right. Was that um, a full I movie? I thought that that really... I mean, I guess I assumed it was because I thought that it had um, a bunch of, of old players from Full Moon in there. Or maybe I'm mixing up that. I'm maybe mixing up that and Oblivion. Oblivion, Oblivion's got a bunch of you know uh, old TV actors, but Sundown, The Vampire in Retreat's got. I mean, I remember having Bruce Campbell as the descendant of Van Helsing, and uh, is he he like a dentist or something? I can't remember. I think like he's a dentist in disguise or something like that. I can't. I haven't seen that movie in so many years. I just gave it a shot one night. And I ended up liking it so well. I thought it was very, very charming. And it really gave me, I mean, I guess it may not have been full moon, but it gave me a full moon feeling. It seemed like it had that kind of budget and it had that level of actors in there. Well, God, it was, so maybe, I think it's the only time uh, David Carradine played a vampire, didn't he? I think I, I want to say it was. Yeah, I think but maybe so. I'm wrong. Think so. But no, it's I got every so. little old guy in it, man. It's it had, uh, oh, God, who else was in that? John, John Ireland was in that. Amendment Walsh. 
and David Carradine, you know, at the at the time. But but I just I just remember the walking away from that movie and being like, okay, Bruce Campbell as a bumbling comedic Van Helsing, especially you know we're ruining the you know spoiling things here. But when he gets turned into a vampire at the end, and he wakes up and he's just like. I got fangs like, oh, shit, I failed. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was really great. Uh, but, I mean, I, I think you can have that charm. I've never seen Dracula Dead and Loving It. I've heard that it's a really great latter-day uh, latter uh, Mel Brooks film. I haven't seen it because I remember thinking, when you think of Leslie Nielsen, unfortunately, like, at the end of his life, a lot of people are just going to know him from that, like, unending glut of parody films. But like people like you and me will remember Creepshow and stuff, you know, like and Prom Night. Like he's got such a varied um, he's got such a varied filmography. But I but I didn't watch that specifically because of his career at the time. But I've heard it's actually better than it looks. So I, I need to check that out. But it's it's Mel Brooks. And, you, you know, I got to admit, like, I'm, I'm a sucker for anything that Mel Brooks lays his hands on. It's uh, I consider myself very lucky about five years ago, right after I'd had my knee surgery. Uh, we got to see him do a live introduction up in Chicago at the Chicago Theater uh, and it, and not a live introduction, but a, a Q&A after, after a screening of uh, Young Frankenstein. Oh, wow. And we, we were maybe five, six, seven rows back from the front. And to be just that close to the man, just, just I mean, com- comedic king. Uh, but anyway, like, Dracula doesn't loving it. One, it's not his best film. It's not Leslie Nielsen's best film. It's not even Mel Brooks's best film. But it's probably the best comedic version of Dracula I've ever seen. Like, I, I love it. I'm I'm... I'm a big fan of it. Now, is it as good as Young Frankenstein? No, but few few things are. <laughs> you know, few things are. Uh, no. Something occurred to me that I didn't want to forget. Um, I was saying, oh, what have I seen lately? Vampires lately. What have I seen lately? I completely forgot that I saw Only Lovers Left Alive. And that's that necessarily hasn't come out lately, but that was one I've seen lately. I think that it came out in like 2015 or something, and it has uh, Tom Hiddleston and uh, and Tilda Swinton. Oh, that's probably why it, I haven't seen it. I oh, cannot stand Tilda Swinton. Well, I think that you might be <laughs> but I, surprised. But I, like, here. I like Tom Hiddleston. I do, I really like Hiddleston, so I I might have I to really miss think, that at some point. I really think that you might be surprised here because this is probably because even though like I normally kind of avoid this director. Because usually his stuff is like as artsy fartsy for artsy fartsy's sake as could be normally. So I sort of, I mean, I'll watch it, I, but I just kind of like stray from it a lot of times. But this one was one I really wanted to see because I couldn't think of a more fitting role for Tilda Swinton to play. Because she's got, I mean, I hate to say this, but Tilda Swinton looks half dead all the time, as far as I'm concerned. So I think that seeing her in it, but although, um, Dude, I thought she was masterful in Constantine. Yeah, see, like, what, what, what year did that movie come out? Only Lovers Left Alive. I was thinking it was 2015 because I couldn't believe how far along, how far ago it was. How long ago? I think it was 2015. Hmm, I was going to try to look that up and add that to a list because I. John Hurt was still alive. 
Because <laughs> say John Hurt was still alive. Yeah, I, I liked it. Um, oh, okay. It had I found, a really I found awesome, it 2013. It had an awesome okay. mystique to it because uh, music plays a, a large part in it because he was kind of a musician and she reads like three, four books at a time in different languages and stuff. And it's a very believable love story because they're married and they have been married for like 600 years. But they, um, but they've always, but I guess they've always lived apart. And I don't know if that's to maintain sort of like the newness over centuries or what. But uh, they end up, Jeffrey Wright has a small part in it as kind of like a crooked doctor who supplies no, them I, with I like, I dig him. Blood. I like him a lot. Uh, I'll, I'll watch that guy, like you said, read the phone book. I, I love Jeffrey Wright. He's been so, great uh, uh, playing the Watcher. You know, it's just a cart- uh, cartoon, and he just lends his voice to it. But he is so good as the Watcher in the Marvel's uh, What If series. If you haven't ca- right. caught that, highly recommend. I have. Great show. I have. Um, I would have to say with that one, Gigantic Peaks and Mediocre Valleys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not every episode is good, but I I love the way they ended it, and I did love the the Eesh. what if the the, Dude, the we're, gonna, we're gonna disagree on that one. Oh, I thought it was I thought how they ended it was pretty good. But I yeah, thought the Guardians of I think that the team that he picked for the Guardians of the Multiverse was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, I I, I could agree with that. I could agree with that. I still I I'm I, I love the uh, the the zombie episode. When the zombie plague ha- happens, and we have like the <laughs> when they they leave uh, the wasp, I, I can't remember if it was the wasp or um, who was it that it was the big six hundred foot tall zombie. Oh yeah, that and was they, the wasp. That was the wasp. Yeah, yeah. It was and my, my thought on it was I'm like, um, wait a minute, is she she died. Is that she's going to come back as a six hundred foot tall fucking zombie? This can't be good. Oh, man. That was crazy. That <laughs> yeah. was crazy. But uh, there's something that I do not want to neglect mentioning because I think that it's an absolute fucking triumph. And that it, I haven't seen the series yet, but what we do in the Shadows film was fantastically awesome. I wanted to touch base on that as well because I wanted to get into uh, comedy and vampires and uh, the kind of do's and don'ts and things that work and things that don't. That proved uh, that proved to me that it can be done because I think yes. that the way that they nailed it was it gives you that European old world ancestry thing like right in your face, and they played on that like full tilt, and I think that that's what sealed it. I think if it was yeah. like, yeah, man, fucking Facebook, and oh, my God, I'm a vampire. Like, I don't think that would have worked. No. But I think if uh, you have that thing where he's like, I don't know. Some people say she's too young for me. And it's like this old, I loved it. It yeah. was awesome. Oh, the movie is great. And the show, if you said you haven't seen the show, please oh, run. Don't walk to watch it. It's it's oh, it's, wow. it's halfway. Awesome. It's almost at the end of season three. I absolutely love it. Me and my wife watch it religiously. It is a I great show. Um, I keep seeing memes, so uh, there. If I'm not careful, some shit's gonna get spoiled for me if I don't watch it pretty soon. <laughs> right, it's pretty good. Um, I I kind of feel like every season has just gotten better. Uh, they've added certain people, added certain aspects uh, that I like. Uh, Tilda Swinton's in one episode. I'll I'll tell you that much. She she re- there's an episode where a bunch of different um, famous vampires um, a- appear. 
different actors that play, have played certain famous vampires appear in this culmination of, uh, you know, this this vampiric council in one episode that I won't tell you which oh, wow. season it's. I won't even tell you what season it's in. That way you can just be surprised by it when it comes. But there's an epic episode where, uh, yeah, they, they 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 nail it each and every time. My favorite. I always say my spirit animal is Laszlo, and Laszlo's uh, one of the main vampires in the house. And it's pretty much, you know, the the show is the same as a movie. You know, it's a, a mockumentary. You know, and so I'm is it not, sort of like a reboot? Yeah, it's a. It, it almost it takes, seems like it was the same situation. Even. Yeah, it's the same situation. It, it takes place in the same universe because um, there is mention of, a, of one of the character, you know, one of the couple of the characters from the movie, and one character does appear in an episode. So it does take place within the same universe. It's just a different vampire family, just, you know, a bunch of housemates, uh, you know, doing their thing being videotaped kind of the office style just being followed around by cameras and they still hate werewolves <laughs> they still have familiars oh. that they treat with uh, the utmost of disrespect it's so good but yeah now there's yeah. something i, wa I want to ask do you, do you have a, a, when it's done right i imagine you don't have a problem with it but do you have a problem when when they mix horror and comedy or so i should say you know vampirism and comedy you know as a whole do you feel like it's something that works or does it lessen uh, the subject matter so to speak i think that um i think in almost all counts it lessens the subject matter but i think it can be done right um which that that film proves that it can be i'm not so sure it's been done right often uh i've yeah, never agree. been a big fan I've never been a big fan when they when they make light of a threat like that. Like for instance, I was going to mention this. I, I almost forgot. You know what, dude? I might change my I might change my vote for my favorite Dracula. I just remember. Okay. I think I know who my favorite Dracula is. So it's, it's so Duncan, it's not it's it's Duncan Rieger from the Monster Squad. Ah, that's a good choice. That's a good choice. The reason the reason why I pick him is. No matter what he's doing in that movie, it doesn't matter if there's children there. It doesn't matter if there's comedy there. It doesn't matter if he's being, if there's like a goofy situation. He is so lethal in that movie. He's willing to dynamite a kid's fucking clubhouse. <laughs> he grabs that little girl, girl by her face. I guess that in filming, they didn't tell her that he was going to do that. They didn't tell her that he was going to have like fangs in and shit. <laughs> oh, no. And, and so that that like shriek that she does when he's like grabbing her by the face and like hissing at her, that's full on for real. Oh, that I poor, that poor kid was probably traumatized, I'm sure. I always found him to be and you know, granted to say that anyone playing like no one playing Dracula is ever over the top is just silly. They're almost practically all of them over the top in one way or the other. Um, so there was something about him. Like, even though he, he was wearing sort of like the quintessential uh, Dracula duds, where he's got like the high collar, red satin, yeah. all that stuff. Somehow, somewhere somewhere between Lugosi and, and somewhere between him and Christopher Lee, it had that kind of very similar look. Yeah, somehow he managed to not make it like it just worked. And even to this day, like, there are people who talk about that being problematic, that movie. 
and it's like, hey, you know, if you're going to cast aspersions as 80, at an 80s film for being problematic, you kind of have to... Did I tell you about the new ratings or the new... Um, you know when you pull up a movie and it would say adult situations, violence, language, nudity, all that stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I tell you about the new one that I want to add to that? <laughs> no, what's that? Historical context. And where or, if you if you if you put like an 80s film up that has like flagrant use of some words that don't go anymore, situations that don't go anymore, morals that don't go, cultural things that don't go. I think they ought to put a historical context so they don't just like cut the movie in half and cancel culture it so you don't ever see what had occurred back then. But you can see it and go, oh, that's what the way it was in the 80s and just move ahead. Yeah. Well, it is possible, just like on, uh, like you were saying with cancel culture, just like uh, with social media. You know, it's it's so easy to just uh, see something that you don't agree with or that you maybe doesn't fit your fit your mold, so to speak, and move on with your life and just let people enjoy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the way it ought to be. Um, but uh, yeah, I can understand there being disclaimers, you know, on on stuff. I, I can see that, you know, for people that maybe like, hey, I would much prefer I, that because th- there are people who want to like do away with Monster Squad altogether. They're saying uh, it's like anti-Semitic. They're saying it's homophobic. They're saying it's sexist. They're saying it's ageist. They're saying all this stuff. So it's like, hey, Tom Noonan is Frankenstein's monster. Let's <clears throat> do this. Yeah. I want to see this fucking movie. And uh, one. Uh, and besides, Wolfman's wanna... got nards. Wolfman's got nards, man. I mean, Horace is a badass in that movie, you know? Yeah, they called him Fat Kid. He will have fucking nicknames. And he totally rises above it. Everybody. I think that practically everybody in that movie has an arc, except for kind of like the little, like, uh, second banana kid. I think he might be the only yeah. one that doesn't. The oh, little girl yeah. does. The does uh, the lead kid does Horace does I think the only one that doesn't is kind of like the little second banana kid that's it yeah the vice president of the club. even the kid who sees mummy in his yeah even the guy the kid who sees mummy in his closet he has an arc too guess there but, just uh, wasn't enough time the, for everybody to have an arc right did you see the uh the Andy Warhol Dracula film yeah yeah I did I, I've seen that one and, and the Andy Warhol Frankenstein long long time ago I think I preferred the Frankenstein, but Udo Kier is so odd that I love to see him doing that. And it was such a uh, it was such a glam affair. And they're using that. Uh, I think there's a term for it, but it's that blood that's only like a couple of steps above like red paint. Yeah, I call that the late 70s European style blood. Yeah, I, it I just, like, it's almost like I a pastel say, paint. <laughs> I just love it. So, though, I love it. So. Now, I, I want to wind down here a little bit. I do have a couple other movies I want to uh, touch base on. We're talking now. We're talking '80s vampire stuff. I think we need to give at least a mention to Vamp with uh, Grace Jones. That's really that's, odd that you bring that up because that's been coming up a lot in my uh, on some. I think it's on Tubi. I think it's. I'm thinking it might be on Tubi, Pluto, and Netflix. I've been just seeing it everywhere, and. I saw Vamp when I was a kid. This is so strange. I saw Vamp when I was a kid and probably was way too young to have seen it. And I haven't seen it since. And for some reason, I didn't have a super 
uh, a super high interest in seeing it now. I'm not a gigantic Grace Jones fan. Uh, you know, to be honest, me either. I'm, I'm neither a fan nor am I a, a non-fan. I just kind of... I like her in Conan the Destroyer. I like her in Conan the yeah. Destroyer. As, uh, for her music, I like her music. As, as an actor, I'm not a huge fan of hers. But this is, to me, her iconic role. It's such a funny movie. If, if, if you have the inclination to give it a revisit, I think you definitely should. Definitely give it a maybe revisit. That's the reason, maybe that's the reason why I kind of turned away. Because I think I may have even found it goofy when I was a kid. So maybe if I look at it from a different lens, if I go, okay, this is a comedy, then maybe it'll hit me. It'll strike me a little better. And I love that dude. Uh, he was in Weird Science and he was in Freddy's Revenge. I like that guy a lot. I yeah, can't remember yeah. his name. Oh God, I can't remember his name either. He always seemed to be like like Scott Bayo's stunt double. So oh. <laughs> uh, I ended up liking him. So and I actually saw oh, him Robert later. Rustler. That's his name, Robert Rustler. Robert Rustler. Um, and I've seen him in like other interviews, and he's aged very well actually. So um, I think that he may have kind of taken stock of of his career and stuff. But it's got it's got a, a couple of really good uh, supporting actors in it. Sandy Barron. It's great that he was on Seinfeld and God that he was in uh, was in one of the uh, Leprechaun films, uh, but Billy Drago, Everybody. Billy Drago is in it as a, uh, an albino gang member. That oh is, wow, that's great. He is just he's an was an amazing presence when he was on screen. He was great, but yeah, I, I definitely recommend it. If you like, I said if you if it's one that you have the inclination to revisit, I definitely recommend it. How badass would it be if there was a film that had like a crew of really disgruntled, like some kind of like disgruntled Western brothers or something, or like maybe some kind of uh, holler, like um, what do they call that? Uh, like in Next of Kin, where you kind of have like a mob, but they're all like from the holler and stuff. Yeah, Imagine yeah, I got Imagine if they had a family in a film and it was Scott Thompson or who's the Thompson. Is it Scott Thompson who played the killer in Cobra? Oh, Brian Thompson, Brian Thompson, Scott Thompson's yeah. from the kids. Of the Hall. Yeah. Brian Thompson. Hall so let's say these, these are the brothers you have <laughs> and this is going to span all kind of eras, but so you have Billy Drago, Brian Thompson, Lance Henriksen, uh, um, Oh, damn it. Is it Thomas Shannon? Oh, Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon. And uh, who's another guy with a really angular face? Um, I, it's, it's slipping my mind right now. But you just find all these guys with, like, angular faces and put, <laughs> and put them in as brothers all, like, wiry or muscular and all crazy looking. That would be great. So you need to put Steve Buscemi in there at some point, too, then, you know. Buscemi is, like, the rat face kid and... Um, I, uh, whoa, that's okay. I'm not going to go into that. It's totally off topic. I was going to say some of people under the stairs, but, um, <laughs> I, uh, I think that vampire movies have, there's a rich history. I think there have been some ups and downs, but I think that a lot of people can think back to some really engaging ones. And I, there's definitely, there's an epic feel to interview with a vampire. And I've read some of those books and I think that, making them into films was a bad move, but it may have just been the wrong time. Like now's the time for that. 
I've heard some some rumblings about like a Vampire Chronicles t- uh, series somewhere. And I think that's the way to go because there's a huge history, backstory, mythology to those things. Um, who would have ever dreamt that Tom Cruise would have made it such an effective Lestat? That yeah. blows my mind whenever I watch that movie. Yeah, it does blow my mind as well because that's one of my – I'm not even a huge Tom Cruise fan. But that is one of his roles that I really, really, really do like. And I it was amazing weird, to me. It was just amazing to me that he just managed to pull it off, to be quite honest. I think that Tom Cruise's problem is that, at least for a long time, maybe not so much now, but he was such a brand on his own that I think that he was kind of scared to depart too far from it. But every time he did, it totally paid off. When he was in collateral, that paid off. And when he was Lestat, it super paid off. So, And also, people went freaking nuts when he was in Tropic Thunder. So I think that when he departs the Tom Cruise look, I I think it really works for him when he does that. But I'm just, I'm, I'm shit scared that just right around the corner, sooner or later, it's going to be Timothy Chalamet. Like, I think that Timothy Chalamet is turning out to be like the Johnny Depp of the 21st century. Where they'll just, he's like, okay, he's pretty. He looks kind of brooding. He's pretty skinny. Let's put him in everything known to man. Apparently, he's playing Wonka. They're doing another Wonka film. It's like a prequel film with him in there. But I have a feeling sooner or later, he's going to be in like a a prequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yes, I guess it's Wonka in his younger days before he. I mean, I'll I'll save judgment until I see. I always say until I see a trailer and actually see some footage. But yeah, I'm not not excited uh, for that. All right, there was one that just sprung to mind, and it totally has to do with like different takes on vampirism. Have you seen Kronos? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have. I love Kronos. I got to see I that. I've not in seen the that in a long time, though, man. That's been. It's, I'm, I'm glad you kind of like rattled my brain with that one because I've not seen that in a long time. I got to see that in theaters on accident. I was in a, a repertory theater in Cincinnati, and there were a couple things on the bill, and it turned out the Kronos was on there, and that was my introduction to Guillermo del Toro, was Kronos, and I remember thinking in my memory, I was like, wow, that was such a unique take. And I think that it's sort of like it, it kind of uh, goes against what I said. And I think that it sort of it changes some rules in there. But it was such an interesting mythology that sort of had like vampirism as like a um, as like an end result of some of the th- things that were happening. And it had a lot to do with kind of like the rigors of age and how things change, how they think they stay the same, like almost like the sadness of de- uh, of decay and all that. So I I almost think that that's, that was Guillermo's first sort of shape of water type move where you get to see sort of like the humanity behind the monster type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Now, there was one you were talking about earlier uh, that you know, when we were talking about using or them using... Uh, Vampirism is kind of like a a uh, as a euphemism, so to speak, for addiction. You know, like within near dark, especially during like the bus terminal scene. There's one that is that was directed by Abel Ferrara called "The Addiction," that literally treats like vampirism as solely an addiction. 
It's like wow, you know, I've never I've never heard or seen that one. Yeah, it star it's got I mean it's directed by Abel Ferrara. It's got uh Annabella Sciorra in it, uh Christopher Walken, uh What? You have Michael Imperioli, uh Edie Falco, Lily Taylor, got a great, great cast. And it's good God, what sh- year was that? Oh, 95, I think. 94, wow, 95, because I was just about to graduate high school. So it had to have been about 94, 95. And That's it's completely totally in black and me. white. Wow. Amazing film. Totally underrated, totally understated. It's, uh, God, I'm not even sure if it's uh, available streaming anywhere. I, I I own it on Laserdisc. That's the only, only copy of it I have anywhere. I'm sure it's available on like DVD and Blu-ray, but it's got a great great cast i'm not even a huge lily taylor fan but like i love her in this she is really really great and annabella skewer is great christopher walken is he's fucking christopher walken you know he is he's great and everything but yeah if you can seek that one out is one of uh abel ferrara's better movies so did they go for like real super black blood in that then oh yeah it was black and white okay yeah it was uh it was totally i mean it, it it's looked like thick chocolate syrup and like like they probably believe i would imagine went the uh you know the alfred hitchcock psycho route and probably just used uh chocolate syrup i would imagine would you consider under the skin to be a vampire vampire movie i don't know i mean i guess kind of there are i think there are a lot of similarities with that oh shit life Not force once. Uh, i almost forgot to bring up life force yeah, to- Toby Hooper's Life Force, right? Yeah. Yeah. I totally yeah, it's, forgot. It's basically so, just I mean, um, vampire aliens is <laughs> basically what it yeah, is. The, the, the book that it came from is called Space Vampires. Oh, really? So, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> nice, um, nice. I, and I think that, I mean, I, I guess that when, you, when you're talking about vampiric, so I guess by that rationale, you could almost say that Sleepwalkers is too.
But I think that now it's a weird time now because even like you brought up what if, and I have a lot of problems with the end of what if, and I, I think it's because maybe dudes, that'll be about, maybe that'll be our next episode. I'll this I won't have. <laughs> I, I think there's nothing that breaks my heart more than stuff that has uh, so many missed opportunities. But um, I think that there's such a push to have this interconnectedness of everything now after like the, the Marvel universe's success. I just yeah. wonder if you could have a vampire film that wouldn't be part of a, a series. It would be mm. nice to see a one-off uh, a one-off film. I mean, I didn't see Vampire in Brooklyn. Oh, I, I didn't. It didn't really uh, strike me. Did Wes Craven do that? Yeah, Wes Craven did that, and uh, that's a that's a pockmark on his career, as far as I'm concerned. Man, that is. He's such got a, an odd. He's got an odd little. It seemed like there were times where he was like, "Okay, well, I want to do music of the heart and see if I can't get out of this horror rep." And Vampire in Brooklyn. I don't know what he was doing there, but I, I never saw it. Um, I, I seen it. I went to go see it with some friends up uh, on the south side of Chicago, and me and about three or four of my friends went to go see it, and they all loved it. I I, I was the one yelling at the screen bullshit about every fifteen minutes. <laughs> I didn't. I did not like it. I, I liked. Uh, yeah, at the time, I was a huge Eddie Murphy fan, still am, and a, a huge Wes Craven fan, and still am. But I was so let down by that movie. It should have been the perfect marriage. It should have been like, you know, A Vampire in Brooklyn should have been like an American Werewolf in London, but it just just wasn't. Yeah, I've tried to revisit it because I, I truthfully believe in giving every movie a second chance. Uh you know, just a, a second viewing is, you know, a, give it a, a second shot, if you will. But I've tried giving that movie a second shot. I can't get myself to sit through it. I just can't sit through it. It, it is just so cringe inducing. You know what just occurred to me? It would take very little. It would take very, a very small amount of changes uh, to make American Psycho into a vampire film. Yeah, it wouldn't take many. I mean, he I does try to drink. You, he does try to like eat one of his victims and drink blood at one point. So it's it's really the seed is already kind of planted there. I think, especially when it comes to like you know, hiding in plain sight, not really being there, seeing people as you know just completely expendable, but still having that wonderful apartment, like living the high life, all that kind of stuff. You know, that big nightlife stuff. I think it would take very little to make that into a vampire film. I think you could do a cut where, like, you could even, like, do some, like, day for night when he was, like, exercising and stuff. I think <laughs> yeah. you could, it would be very, very easy to do. Yeah, you could do a fan edit of it almost and have that. Yeah, that would be good. I'm going to have to get so, some uh, deep fake people on that. Do you, um, do you believe in, or uh, let me put it this way. Do you find fangs on both jaws strange do you like the upper jaw mostly i you know i've never really thought about it but now that you kind of posted that question to me i i, I do find the fangs on the top and the bottom at the same time a little weird i i, I guess i if i had to say aesthetically you know just from a looks kind of point of view of it 
I would have to say I like just the fangs on the top. The When I think of like fangs on top and bottom, I think of canines. I think of dogs. I think of wolves or werewolves. I think of vampires. I think of the, the you know, just the incisors as their fangs. But by that know, rationale, I, though, isn't it very strange that those plastic teeth have them on both ends? On both yeah. jaws? Yeah. I, I, is that I, I, weird? I always, thought, I always thought that was odd. I always thought that was odd. <laughs> Maybe Yorga Yorga had a pretty insane set of chompers. <laughs> so, so did Nicholas Cage in Vampire's Kiss. Yeah, get <laughs> the cheapy, not the, the, cheapy the ones. not the porcelain teeth. But I think you know, there's a couple other there's a couple other movies here that I want to give some honorable mentions because we're okay. probably going to be winding down here because I'm about ready to pass out. <laughs> right. But. A couple of them that I wanted to give some honorable mention to, <clears throat> only solely because I've reviewed them for other shows, so I didn't want to de- devote a lot of time to them. Um, subspecies uh, from Full Moon with Radu Vladislaus, my favorite vampire I am, character. Uh, I am woefully underwatched on that one. Uh, I watched it back in the home video world days when... They said, okay, you guys come in here. You're not, you know, you're way too young to be watching the, the, the wall of horror, but we'll do it like Mission Impossible. You know, we'll disavow your existence if your mom comes in here coming after us. We'll say you stole the movie from us. <laughs> right. So I watched um, Subspecies in that manner, and it was so long ago, and I think I only watched it one time, but I... I really remember liking Radu. So, I mean, I don't know why I didn't uh, revisit it. I kind of want to get the subspecies, like the whole block of movies and just go through it in a marathon type situation. Yeah, uh, it's a great series. Part four is, you know, uh, admittedly the, the, the worst one because by process of elimination, one of them has to be the worst. And the fourth one is just, I think it's so much time had passed between uh, parts two and three, they released two and three kind of back to back. They were shot at the same time. And part two is my favorite, but I love the, the Radu character. I, I love the whole thing. I love all four movies, but like I said, you know, no matter what, even if you love an entire series, even if you say, hey, I love all the Halloween movies. Well, by process of elimination, one of them has got to be your least favorite. And that one is always going to be Halloween Resurrection. But that's a <laughs> story for another time. <laughs> So but didn't they subspecies do a bunch of films great. once? Didn't they do like subspecies two and three, Castle Freak, Meridian? Didn't they do like a bunch of movies in those castles over there at the same oh, time? Yeah. They they did, they shot a lot of them back to back. They were shooting there constantly there for a couple of years in the nineties during the the full moon, you know, the heyday of the Paramount era. They shot quite a bit. Uh, if you so, don't mind getting into it, can you tell me what the importance of the bloodstone is? The bloodstone is the source of Radu's power. Okay, because I I remember that pretty distinctly, but I couldn't remember if it was like consistently, like if he had to process the blood that he ate through the stone, or if the stone bled, or like what the what the, it no, did. No, the, the stone did drip, drip blood. It was a never-ending supply of. Uh, 
of blood, but he's still fed. He's still fed okay. you know, naturally off of people, but he would uh, kind of, as you would say, suckle from the bloodstone so often that, that okay, was... Okay, that's what I was remembering, and I didn't know if I was right on that. So that, that's yeah. what occurred to me, that it constantly bled for him. But yeah, the subspecies series, um, if you go on Tubi, I know they have a whole channel devoted just to full moon features. Uh, and I'm sure at least the first couple of uh, subspecies films, probably all four of them are on there. I would be willing to bet. But again, another uh, another one, I'm going to move on to the next film here. The next one I'm going to give some honorable mention to that we haven't mentioned is From Dusk Till Dawn. I love From Dusk Till Dawn. Not so much a fan of the second and third movies. I'm not really a fan of those two. The second one is okay for a goof. It feels like what if Sam Raimi directed a vampire movie? So, I mean, it's got some some great elements to it, but it's a misaligned movie. Robert Patrick is great in it. Bruce Campbell is great in it, although he's in it for not very long. Uh, I like the the original, is you know, but we already reviewed that, like I said, for Grindhouse Pizzeria, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But I like the fact that it, like, it not one vampire is really the same to the next vampire. Every vampire is different in that. And that's I like one that, that weird cobra transformation that she does at one point where she's a regular woman and then she sort of hisses and then her head sort of like becomes a cobra and then it folds back into itself and then all of a sudden she's a vampire now. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Like, and, satan- and, satanica pandemonium, pandemonium. or whatever yeah. it was. Yep. And then we got, I mean, like, we can't forget uh, Tom Savini, a sex machine, when he turns into the vampire and they pop his head off and he goes from being a vampire to a rat monster. I, if I ever, yeah. ever meet Robert Rodriguez, I got to ask him what the hell the the, <laughs> the idea or the, 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 just what the hell the intention was behind that. It was just crazy. Uh, it's a crazy movie. It's 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 a it's a modern day grindhouse flick, you know. Is this a, a, a 60s, 70s era crazy grindhouse movie that just happened to be made in '96? But that and it was it, it was a major, but it was a major offender when it comes to the hey, let's just stick them in the in the chest just for a second, and maybe it's like a pile driver. There was a pile driver one, right? It was like a pile or, driver steak machine. Oh yeah, the uh, jackhammer kind of steak machine. Right, jackhammer, jackhammer. Yeah. <laughs> so like that's 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 an offender, and you know like we talked about that on the show. Uh, my, uh, Tony Walters and myself were the ones that reviewed it, and we were talking about how cool the weapon looked, but how highly impractical that that weapon would be, and especially with fighting off more than one vampire. If you were fighting one vampire off, it, it would be kind of effective, but. Yeah, yeah, not so much. But another one, another one I want to move on. Uh, another one I want to give uh, uh, some recognition to is a little known. It's a comedy, uh, but it came out in 95. It was called Blood and Donuts. It's just about a, uh, a vampire that falls in love with a, a lady that works at a donut shop. But it's mostly notable for having a very comedic turn by David Cronenberg as a crime boss in it. What? Is, no, yeah. I've never seen that. I've never yeah, it's, seen 
I'm not sure where it would be available. I have it on VHS, but it's called Blood and Donuts. It's a funny <laughs> freaking movie. I just remembered that literally the, the tagline for it is there's a place between the living and the dead and it's open 24 hours. That's it's, awesome. But it's, it's I mean, great. It's, it's I can't remember who directed it. I can't remember who directed it. Um, damn, it was on the tip of my tongue. Oh, well, if I remembered it, then I would have wrote it down. But those those are the, the three honorable mentions I want I want to give, you know, uh, subspecies uh, from Dusk Till Dawn and Blood and Donuts. I haven't reviewed that one, but that was a kind of a lesser known one that I just wanted to make sure that I gave some quick, quick love to. I think a few other things. I mean, uh, you know, we got to give some love. Uh, True Blood was a great TV series. Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter was a decent movie. That was the only movie I seen while I was on my honeymoon. So that movie holds a, a, a special place yeah, in my heart. Um, I think that there, when it comes to vampire films, there will probably be more that we forget than we remember because there's so many to mention. Like I, I totally forgot about Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. I ended up liking it pretty well, and strangely enough, I I liked it for Anthony Mackie. I thought that he totally killed in that movie and uh, i like dominique i think it's dominic cooper right dominic so like cooper, you got yeah. some marvel you got some marvel like guys in there so um i think uh i think that there are definitely uh, there was one oh shit there's one called thirst and it was the uh the protagonist from the the host yeah it was directed by the, the same guy time. the same guy who did old boy You know what? But but Thirst, that one was really great. And there's another one called Thirst that I think is a Spanish film. I think I remember really liking that, too, where they actually had people kind of strung up as uh, sort of like human blood bags. Yeah, yeah. I think I know which one you're talking about. I've seen a trailer for that. It's kind of taken the idea they had that they uh, kind of put forth in the, the original Blade, but they never really expanded upon it very much. Yeah, so I think it's, I named I mean I named my cat a, after Deacon Frost from Blade, so you know I'm a vampire fan true at heart. <laughs> I have to admit though, I uh, because because of my history, I would love to see them do Blade and Deacon Frost where they belong, which would have been in like a seventies seventies um, era. Right, right, yeah. That's what I would I would actually like it if they used because good God. That Dracula that they did in Trinity is just a travesty of life itself. Yeah, the third that movie so is just a travesty in general. <laughs> well, I have to admit, in all honesty, I kind of dug the uh, the Night Stalkers, but when it came to, but you can't do it at ex- at the expense of Blade. But I, apparently, he was he totally didn't even want anything to do with it, anyways. But. Yeah, uh, he, he I, was totally uninterested at the time. He didn't, he did not, poor, poor Wesley just did not give a fuck. I thought that probably the worst Dracula I can think of was in the Hugh Jackman Van Helsing film. Oh, God. Yeah. To, you, to be truthful, there's not much I remember about that film. I hated it so much. <laughs>
I didn't like how they did Frankenstein. I didn't like how they did Dracula at all. This is slightly off topic, but um, I thought that a, a better way to have done it would be skip Mummy Returns, skip Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, all that stuff, and have Edie and uh, Rick and Jonathan go throughout all the Universal films, all the Universal monsters. Hey, as, as long as it was Brendan Fraser doing it, I'd be all for it. Yeah, because like I've got a whole thing going. We'll have to talk about it sometime. I had a whole like synopsis of like a a series where because the mummy you you can't squeeze blood out of that too long, and even Mummy Returns that was kind of treading over ground. They had already done it perfectly, so like they should have gone to Frankenstein's castle. And they should have gone to Dracula and they should have done all that stuff. And I think that he kind of may have wanted to do that, but then they shoved it all into Van Helsing and it just sucked beyond. Yeah, so, that's but, not, a, not a good film. Not a good film at all. Wasn't there a, I mean, there's, like I said, there are so many that, that you forget. I know as soon as we end up hanging up with each other, we're going to think of 20 other films to talk about. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean... I mean, we didn't really talk about Nosferatu. I think that that's um, that's an important one. I didn't see the Klaus Kinski version of it, but it's such an iconic. I think that Nosferatu is almost as iconic as Bela Lugosi. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I think of iconic Dracula, iconic vampires, I think of Nosferatu. I think of Bela Lugosi as Dracula. I definitely think Christopher Lee as Dracula, but I also think of Radu from subspecies is iconic vampires. And, you know, even in his own right, like we talked about Severin from Near Dark, another iconic fucking vampire. And each of them also different in their own ways. You know, I mean, the closest is probably, you know, Lugosi and Christopher Lee, because they both had a level of, of arrogance and elegance to them at the same time. Arrogance and elegance. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's what I want in a, in a vampire. I want him to be arrogant, but I want him to be elegant, but I also want him to be vicious at the same time. So, you know... Uh, and I think yeah. that's the making of, of a lot of good villains. I mean, I think that's what you want in, like, a Moriarty. So, I mean, that, that's why Dracula, like, the guys who did the Dracula three-part series, they had also done Sherlock, and they had also done Jekyll. Did you ever see Jekyll? No, I have not seen Jekyll. I have seen some of the Sherlock's they did with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Well, Jekyll was uh, one. I think that they were trying to do a bunch of like classic, classic stuff and bring it into modern times. So you ought to check out Jekyll. It's very interesting. I but will do that. It, it amazes like me. I was kind of thinking back over all the ones we've talked about. And it seems like a lot of the vampires we talked about don't even have fangs. They don't have fangs in Near Dark, do they? No, no, they don't. I mean, so really, that's a very interesting wrinkle there that they don't have that. I think kind of the idea of of, of a person biting you with fangs is almost less creepy than of someone biting you for the sake of sucking your blood that don't have fangs. Like just the idea of just the ripping and the tearing and the the gnashing of teeth, you know, is yeah. yeah. Kind of creepy. <laughs> and by kind of, I mean a lot. And you said, uh, I, I don't think we kind of like glossed over Martin 
Were you a fan of Martin? You know, growing up, I was not. You know, as a kid, I was. I didn't get to have a better appreciation for Martin until I hit my thirties. You know, until I hit like my late twenties, early thirties. You know, as a young kid, as a teen, my early twenties, I just didn't get it. You you know, if that makes sense, I didn't like get where sure. they were going with it. But like, like I said, as I got older, I became a fan definitely. I think it was definitely a different way of trying to go about, you know what I mean? The, the vampire lore. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess John, Am- have- John Amplis was, he was something else. He was something else in that movie. I think that's like the pinnacle of his career. He's just a prize. Like, I, I think that he was way underutilized as well. Much like the guy, um, whoever, uh, the, the wild haired guy from escape from New York. He kind of had oh, that quality too. Frank Doubleday. Frank Doubleday, and I think his his daughter, I think, is working, and she looks a lot like him, and that ain't good. <laughs> if I remember no. But yeah, oh. man. I mean, I guess you have you have the buckets of blood type vampires. You have the arrogant and elegant vampires. Subtlety, a complete and utter cheese factor. I think with vampires in particular, there's a very wide spectrum that you can play with. As long as you don't discard, I think a reverence is needed. Because even with the Lost Boys, the uh, they didn't do much of it. But like the bottle they were drinking out of looked like it came from like ancient Romania. Oh yeah. So like I, I think that if you if you can just inject a little bit of that, and I think that that, that was the strength of uh, what we do in the shadows. I think you have to inject. You can't have it especially with like the agelessness of them. You can't have it without the, that callback to ancient or at least uh, earlier times. I think if you completely do away with that, that it's going to fall apart. You have to have that historical um, precedence that they've done over time. Yeah. And you have to see inklings of it, but I, I, I do like, um, I do like characters who try to, um, who tried to evolve. Like, did you say, did you read the suicide motor club yet? No, I still have not. <laughs> okay. So I've been trying to get, I've been trying to get through the dark tower, uh, the rest of the dark tower series before I started any new books. Well, I think if you ever have vampires on the brain, I think that's a good one to read because it's, um, it has characters who they're definitely of their time. But you manage, they manage to pick up little bits and pieces of times that they've gone through. So they end up being much more dynamic and well-rounded. Because you don't necessarily want a Dracula that is stuck in that other time. Because I think that would mean there's no way that they could survive if they stayed completely in that other time. But if they had, you know, all the trappings and they had some tastes from their but they can embrace some other things and kind of like move along. I guess sort of like the Highlander, that sort of thing. Yeah. Kind of the idea of uh, an immortal that lives forever. (laughs) If you can do the, um, if you can manage to have that old world, like mystique, but yet still somehow, I mean, I guess they sort of had some of that in blade. They sort of had some of that. What was that called? Daybreakers. Yeah, Daybreakers. Another one, that, that, the one movie that was saved by William Defoe, pretty much. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that when you have when you have vampires and they are a um, actually there was that uh, speaking of the Highlander, there was that movie called The Breed or The Brood. Which one was it? It may have been The Breed. The Brood. And no, it was might be the you might think of The Breed. The Brood was a David Cronenberg film. OK, so The Breed had uh, Adrian Paul and it was kind of this weird sort of like steampunk vampire world. But, oh, okay, wait. There's one I want to mention. I'm sure you want to sign off. There's one I want to mention before I forget that is completely under uh, underappreciated, and I never hear a damn thing about it, and that is Perfect Creature. You ever seen that? No, I have not. Perfect Creature has... Um, oh, damn it. Know. I don't even know. Was, I, I've even heard of that. He was the guy who was the the antagonist and mission impossible too. He was like two steps away from becoming Wolverine, the first X-Men film. Oh, hell, I have no idea. <laughs> God damn it. He was like, he was totally poised to be a movie star and then he didn't quite get there. But, um, I I'm would looking, call I'm looking perfect. up the movie now is, is the, uh, if it's who you, I think you're thinking of is a do Gray Scott. Yeah. Do Gray Scott. Yeah. So, um, that is a movie you ought to check out because it sort of has uh, a little bit of underworld flavor, a little bit of like something like equilibrium flavor. Um, but it totally, I mean, another pun yet again, I was like, it totally has bite, but I, there are a lot of, <laughs> there are a lot of there. things. Yeah. What can I say? It, but it was organic when it was coming out. I just kind of stopped because I, I saw it coming, but <laughs> I love the tagline uh, for it, or the review underneath it that says "Underworld meets Children of Men." I'm kind of down for that. I think I'm down uh, for this. I think that that's a good. I think that's a good explanation. I think that's a good explanation. Huh. It was uh, one of those ones where I saw the cover, and as far as I know, I think the cover just some some grotesque looking face, and I was just like, "What is this all about?" And I just kind of tried it, and it turned out. To be something I did not regret. I ended up liking it a whole lot. So nice, nice. So well, you're watching Perfect Creature, and I'm I'm watching The Addiction. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what. If you watch The Addiction, I will watch Perfect Creature, and then we'll come back and have a meeting of the minds. Okay. All right. Well, that being said, I think we'll stick a, a pin in this one, or put a stake in this one for the evening, if oh! you want. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Once again, I am going for low hanging fruit here. That's what I do. <laughs> Now you know, now folks. Now you know why I write horror and not comedy. But um, but oh, anyway, you can mix them up. <laughs> that being said, I want to thank you for giving me a, a couple hours of your time here late at night. Uh, it, it's always a pleasure fucking uh, shooting the shit with you, sir. Yeah, and, and and hey, man, we're we're kindred, kindred, kindred spirits. Yeah, hey, I I knew we were brothers from another mother, but like especially when you when you mentioned the kindred. I wanted to hug you through the microphone, man. Because I'm hey, like, man, I, I don't know like, anybody that knows the kindred. I don't know anybody else that here. I. <laughs> I never heard anyone ever mention it or even know what I was talking about. If you ever want to have a uh, a kindred marathon, I'm down because I probably haven't watched it in 20 years. You know, maybe one of these days we need to do a, like a quick. You know, there's only what seven or eight episodes we could do a, like a an episode by episode review of it sometime. I would be that totally would be down for that. Yeah. All right. Well, that being said, we will stick a pin in this one for the evening, folks. 
you've been listening to us blabber on and on for the last couple hours about vampire films, bloodsuckers in general, where we've talked about everything from Lugosi and Lee to uh, Severin and Radu. And we've covered just about everything I think we could possibly cover in a couple hour time span. But this is, uh, you know, as you put it, this is a, a, a genre that has bite and has a lot more to offer than just the films that we've talked about. We've talked about a lot of the good ones, a couple of the bad ones, some of the, the, the really big ones and some of the really lesser known ones. But, you know, still kind of the tip of the iceberg. But folks, you have been listening to Cinema Degenerations Without Warning. This has been my co-host, Corey Dawson, and I've been your host, Cameron Scott, and we bid you a fond farewell. Not stumped yet. (laughs) No, no, sir. So I guess you have to kind of like draw a line between vampiric movies and vampire movies, because there are some that sort of like skirt the line, but uh, but you have to you have to think about it in the way it was like okay, well, what are the rules? So I mean, like maybe that's the importance of the rules. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time.